Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Steve Fowler, lead pastor, as he begins. Hey, we're continuing in our Jesus series this week, looking at a story found in Luke chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to get there in a second. Uh, as you find your way there, uh, I don't know if you've seen the show called What Would You Do? It's, it's on ABC. It's hosted by John Quinones. Uh, this, this, this show creates circumstances, it, it creates these environments where something odd happens and with cameras that are hidden, which cameras that are out of view and, 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 uh, and re- reporters and hosts are hiding from the public's view, they're watching to see what people will do. Like one episode where a crowded grocery uh, store where a woman has a grocery cart and she's got a little squirt bottle and she squirts water all over the floor. People see it happening and then she walks over and, and pretends to slip in the water that she's put on the ground. Now, customers see this. They have no idea what's going on, but the manager knows. Uh, he, he's, been, he's been keyed in on this, clued in on it. And so the woman falls to the ground and starts screaming in pain and starts crying out that she's going to sue the store. The manager walks out, and, uh, and he's trying to resolve the situation. All the while, the cameras are running to see, is anyone going to say anything? Is someone going to step up and say, it's a fraud? She faked the whole thing. And each episode presents a circumstance like that, and uh, it's very fascinating to watch how people respond. Another episode is of a young boy, seven years old, a young actor hired by ABC. This young actor is is in Chicago, and he's going to be placed on a very busy sidewalk at a very busy time uh, in downtown Chicago. His job is to sit on his skateboard and cry. Sit on his skateboard and cry, and as people pass by, to, to, to say to them, excuse me, can you help me? And as people are passing by, if someone does stop, he's supposed to tell them that he's lost his mother and can they help? Now, with, with cameras out of view, uh, filming this whole setup, you got a young boy sitting on a busy intersection in downtown Chicago... People walking by on this sidewalk have an opportunity to help this seven-year-old boy. Uh, Quinones is with his camera crew in a store watching this all happen. A young man sitting on a, a seven-year-old boy sitting on a skateboard crying. And for the first seven minutes as, as the tape rolls, 100 people pass by this seven-year-old boy and not one person stops. 100 people pass by. In fact, uh, in these seven minutes, all these interactions, the the cameras, they have to stop the episode and put tape back in the cameras and and keep filming. Actually, they film for two whole days, and 1,700 people will pass this young man sitting on a skateboard, crying. You could hear him crying. 1,700 people will pass him by. Some, Some will act like they don't even see him. Some will pass by, literally walk up to him and then step around him as if he's in the way of their path. And out of the 1,700, 43 people will stop and see if the kid is okay. 43 out of 1,700 will stop. That's 1,657 people will walk by a child sitting on a busy intersection in downtown Chicago and won't even ask him if he is okay. One kind of cool story, one of the 43 who did stop is a guy named Gino. He sees the young man sitting on the skateboard, walks up to him and asks if he is okay. Uh, And and he he, he hears the story about his, his mom being lost and Gino becomes visibly distraught. 
He, he starts running his fingers through his hair. He's rubbing his side of his face. He, he starts to have tears rolling down his cheeks. He becomes so, uh, so engaged with this young man's precarious situation that he is just, is his, he's got a knot in his stomach. In fact, it's so moving that Quinones and his camera crew come running out of a store because they have got to film this. They have not seen this for two days. And they do a, a, an interview with, with uh, Gino right there on the sidewalk to, to ask him, what made you stop? What caused you to, to stop? Because we've been filming people and no one's been stopping. And, and what caused you to react in such a, an emotional fashion? And, and Gino just says, I, 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 I saw him right away. I mean, there shouldn't be a seven-year-old kid sitting on a sidewalk in Chicago. And, and, and it shouldn't be, be, be crying. And I, when I heard he lost his mom, I just was sick to my stomach. And I, my heart just went, went, went out to him and... Um, it was a fascinating interview, but even more fascinating was the interviews with people. When they would walk by this seven-year-old boy, there'd be other reporters that would, would stop them and ask them, did you see the seven-year-old kid right there crying? You know, did, why didn't you stop? And interview after interview, really the main reasons why people did not stop, uh, I, was, I was headed to an appointment, and I, and I was running late, and I, I, ha I had to get there. Some said, I, I, what kid? I, I never saw him. Others thinking, yeah, it's not my part to get involved. I, you know, I, 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 just, I just don't want to get involved. Some preoccupied. Not even noticing a seven-year-old boy sitting on a busy street in Chicago, crying and saying, excuse me, can you help? Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, ma'am. Can you help me? It's a rising phenomenon in our culture. People who are hurt, people who are needy, and people who could be of assistance Walking right on by. CNN.com ran a lead article in June of 2008 on their website. Uh, it's some psychotherapists who came together to talk about this phenomena of, of the American public walking right by people in need. And, and they've come up with a, with a way to describe this, this lack of, of interest in the lives of others. They call it compassion deficit disorder. Uh, if you're suffering from... Com Compassion deficit disorder, there is no pill yet. I'm sure they're working on it. <laughs> they've called it compassion deficit disorder, and they link it to, they link it to this culture that is consumed with the acquisition of things, the acquiring of material possessions becoming such a priority that the, the basic needs of human beings are overlooked because it's just not a priority anymore. And... And people are asking, does, does anyone care? Does anyone care about a kid crying on a skateboard in downtown Chicago? Does, does anyone care anymore? In fact, one young, young songwriter has written a song entitled, Nobody Cares. Listen to some of the lyrics. Nobody knows, nobody cares. When the tears fall from my eyes, do you think anyone would stop and ask me the reason why. No. Because nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. When I'm sitting all alone, do you think anyone would call me? No. Because nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. We live in a day and age when people are asking the question, does anyone care? As I'm hurting, as I've experienced 
pain and loss does anyone care? How would God answer that question? Because think about it. God's got a lot of things on his hands, right? Running a planet, a cosmos, a university. There's six billion people on our planet living in 157 nations who speak over 7,000 different languages. I mean, each one of those, those people that make up the six billion plus have their own unique individual circumstances. Each one had a last week in which they encountered pain, in which they encountered joys. And, and God, he could be pretty busy, right? And maybe you were one of the, well, you are one of the six billion from last week, and maybe you encountered pain. Did God, did God see you? And as he was walking by, did he just sort of step out of the way? Because he's preoccupied. He's got a lot of stuff going on. Is God indifferent to your pain and to your loss? Does he notice? Can he see? Does he care? Well, we're looking at a story in the book of Luke that clearly clearly answers that question, that he is the Christ. He is the Jesus whose heart goes out to you. He is the Christ who sees your hurt. He is the Christ who, who sees the wounds. He, he is the Christ who, who wants to get his hands around you and bind you up and make you well. He is the Christ whose heart goes out to you. We're going to see this very clearly in this story found in Luke chapter 7. Would you stand with me as we read the word today? The story of, a, uh, of Jesus raising a widow's son. A woman who is in, experiencing extreme loss and a Christ whose heart goes out to her. Luke 7, beginning in verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up, and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. So in this story, we see two processions. Procession number one is a procession that Jesus is a part of. He has been teaching. He has been teaching with parables. He has been speaking with authority that has stunned the crowds. People are gathering around him. The, the curiosity has, has, has grabbed them, and they're listening. They're hanging on every word that Christ speaks, and they're seeing him do phenomenal things. He's healing. He, he's healing diseases. And In fact, in, in this particular section of Scripture, Jesus has just healed a Roman centurion servant. It's a, it's a, it's a healing that is, is prompted by great faith. A centurion sends a messenger to Jesus and basically says, you just say the word, because I understand as a man under authority, as I say the word, those under my authority carry out the orders. And him knowing that Christ has authority over sickness and disease, in faith says, Jesus, you just say the word. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus 
hearing all this, is astounded. He, he literally describes this man's faith as a faith that has not yet been seen in all of Israel. He hasn't encountered faith like this in all of Israel. And Jesus says the word, and the Roman centurion's servant is healed. And this procession, as it's moving from village to village, is, is a procession that's, that's filled with anticipation, expectancy, and hope and joy. They're seeing amazing things. They're hearing wonderful things. And walking with Jesus is a whole lot of fun, isn't it? And you're in this procession, and this procession is headed down this road, headed to a village called Nain. And it is marked by joy, hope, anticipation, expectancy. But as this particular procession is going to round the corner and, and come to the village of Nain, there is another procession it's about to collide with. This procession is not, not marked by joy. It's marked by sorrow, sadness, and grief. It's a procession marked by sorrow, sadness, and grief because here's a woman who has buried her husband and is now burying her only son. She has not experienced loss. She has experienced loss upon loss. You know how sometimes in life when you know, one thing happens, then another thing happens, and then another, it just feels like you're just, you're just being crushed under the weight of all these things that are happening to you. This woman has experienced loss upon loss. In fact, you could add another loss there because now her, her uh, economic security is in question. Junior, the, the Jewish uh, funeral customs were that when someone died, they would be buried that day. So in this story, this woman dies on, this woman's son dies on that day. And, and the woman probably would have been involved in the ritual uh, washing of the body. She would have likely tenderly wrapped the body in cloths. This body of a young man, he's likely in his early 20s, is, is laid on a wooden stretcher and will be carried through the village and as, the, as this body is being carried, you will hear the sound of mourners and wailers. In fact, there will be some who will, who will lead the way, perhaps even hired. They will wail, they will mourn so loudly that you will hear them coming. Micah chapter 1 verse 8 describes this mourning and this wailing as the sound of jackals and owls in the night. Kind of just sends tingles up your spine when you hear the sound. It's a procession marked by, by sadness, sorrow, and grief. A mother has, has already buried her husband, and now she's going to bury her son. And she's, she's in this procession. She's coming this way. And there's another procession over here that's led by Jesus in a crowd. that are, They're having a great day. And it's full of anticipation as they're rounding this bend, so to speak. Here comes procession number two, rounding the bend. And the question we would ask is, will Jesus notice? Does Jesus see? I mean, he, he, is, he the, is he the Jesus who just oh, sees something there and something going and just steps around because he's, you know, he's got an agenda, he's going somewhere, he's got stuff to do, he's a pretty busy guy, he's got, he's got son. Will he notice? Yes, he, he does notice. We, we read the story. He, he sees the woman in, in this utter grief. He sees her and Luke tells us that the emotion of procession number one that was marked by joy is, is shifted as this, this procession marked by sorrow, grief, and sadness encounters them. And Jesus stops and his heart, 
his heart goes out to her. It's the strongest word in the Greek language to describe uh, compassion for someone. It literally means to have your insides twisted up. It literally means to be so, so caught up with the pain and the desperation of someone else's circumstances. You feel a pit in your own stomach. You, you co-suffer with somebody. You actually, you suffer along with someone. You feel what they're feeling. You, you take on the pain that they're feeling. Jesus' heart went out to her. He co-suffered with her. Tom Walter is the baseball coach for Wake Forest. He had a player named Kevin Jordan who got drafted by the New York Yankees. And, and year one, he, freshman year for, for Wake Forest, played great ball. Second year, he started to get sick. And it turned out he had kidney disease. His kidneys were functioning at, at 8% of what they should have been. Uh, Kevin Jordan's family, they're all wanting to know if, if they could be a possible donor. Uh, is there anyone who's a match in the, in the family, the extended family, with, uh, friends, and, and there's no match Eventually, Walters, the coach, who's known this kid for a year, decides he's going to go see if he's a match. He's not related. He's, there's no bloodline. In fact, the young man's an African-American. He's, he's white. He goes, and he, he sees if he's a match, and he is a match. And without any hesitation, he gives his kidney to this young sophomore in college. He, he co-suffers with Kevin Jordan, a sophomore in college, when asked why, he said, we're family. We're family. Jesus sees this woman who has experienced loss upon loss, and he co-suffers with her, notices her grief, and his heart, his heart goes out to her. He stops. He says to her, don't cry. He stops a procession, he reaches over, and he touches the coffin. And again, don't think coffin like, like today here in America. Think wooden plank. He touches the coffin, which at that point in time, he has richly defiled himself. He, he's getting himself dirty here for the sake of this widow who has experienced loss. And he says to the dead boy, young man, I say to you, get up. And the young man sits up on this wooden platform, wrapped in the claws. And my guess would be, because Jesus is going to give this young man back to his mom, that Jesus has again got his hands on this kid. He's taking off the cloths, from the, the burial cloths, off this young man. And he's, he's becoming even more ritually, ceremonially impure. He's become dirtier and dirtier as he takes this young man and gives him back to his mother. A procession marked by joy is changed to sorrow as meets sorrow. Jesus steps in because his heart goes out to this woman in her loss upon loss, and now the, the, the emotion has changed again because now there is elation. The mom who was crying tears of sorrow now has to be crying tears of joy. And who could imagine, who could imagine such an experience? One couple that might be able to imagine this is a couple in Australia named David and Kate Ogg. Uh, Kate Ogg was expecting twins, and they came prematurely at 27 weeks. 
When the twins were born, one of them was doing okay, one not doing okay. And as much as the doctors tried to do to save this little baby boy named Jamie, Jamie was pronounced dead. As the, the young 27-week-old baby that's, that's still alive is being cared for, Jamie is given back to mom and dad for mom and dad to hold one for just for some time to be able to say goodbye. And over the course of two hours of holding this child that has been pronounced dead, something unusual begins to happen. Watch this interview from the Today Show and just, just hear the story for yourself of a mom who gets her son back. Doctors told Kate and David Ogg of Sydney, Australia, their baby boy was dead. But what happened was next was nothing short of a medical miracle. The birth of a baby, one of life's happiest moments. But for Kate and David Ogg, their elation came to a screeching halt after one of their twins, baby Jamie, born premature at 27 weeks, was pronounced clinically dead. Doctors told her, I said, Jamie didn't make it, we've lost him. When he opened his eyes, what was the emotion? What was the thought? I think, I think half of us was saying, what if he actually makes it? If he does, this would just be a miracle. The other half is saying, no, he's been declared dead. This is, you know, it's purely reflex. Um, you and know. so then we thought, what a blessing. We get to see his eyes before he passes away. Yeah. And then they stayed open. <laughs> yeah, and he was lifting his head and yeah. he was grabbing my finger. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Mm. And the doc, you have tears now just even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Because it was something that you never, at that moment, after two hours, yeah. thought would happen. Yeah. And the, wh how, you must have had to call the doctor in at that point? Yeah, well, he started making his first movements just five minutes after he'd been handed to us. But the movements were just getting stronger and stronger. And after two hours, we thought, he's getting stronger, he's not dead. Eventually, we fibbed to the doctor and said, because he wouldn't come back. We kept saying, yeah. No, he's doing things dead babies don't do. You might want to come and see this. And mm, refused to believe that he was actually still alive. So David said, go and tell him we've come to terms with the baby's death. Can he just come and explain it? Mm. And that, that made him come back. Well, they look beautiful, both of them, Emily and Jamie. Thank you so much, both of you, for sharing your story. I'm sure it inspired a lot of people this Thanks morning. Thanks very much. An amazing story. A child pronounced dead and given to parents to grieve and and the child starts, you know, starts making movements and they're crying out to the doctor to come back and check this out and the doctor won't come and finally they have to fib and say, we've come to terms with the baby's death and the doctor does come and finds a baby that's alive. A mom who is dealing with the sorrow of losing a, a, a son in the course of two hours has this huge emotional swing because now the son that was pronounced dead is now being pronounced alive. And... It's a fabulous story, a wonderful story, a widow who gets her son back, a mom in Australia who, who gets her son back. But here's the question. What about you? Because you could be sitting here today and say to yourself, that's great, but I buried my son. 
I didn't get my son back. Maybe you're here today and you lost a daughter. Maybe you're here today and you're a widow. And you hear a story like this and the walls start going up and you're like, (laughs) I feel like in my loss that God was walking by and he just stepped around me. We prayed, we cried out and nothing happened. Maybe you lost your innocence. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a marriage. And you cried out and you prayed and you hear stories like this and you go, that, 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 that's great, Steve. Um, that's so exciting, those two processions. But, you know, my procession is still marked by sadness, sorrow, and grief. By pain that happened not last week, it happened 15, 20, 25 years ago. And I still carry it with me. Does God not see you? Does God not notice? Where's my story? Let me try and answer that question by just giving you a little bit of an illustration. I like going to stores that have free samples. Uh, There's a Harry and David store on the coast that uh, I, I... I have never bought anything from. I'll just confess right here. (laughs) My wife does buy things from there. But I gladly go with her because I know they'll have a free sample of a little bit of coffee and maybe there'll be a paper cup that's got some moose crunch in it. I love moose crunch. And uh, so I'll go in there hoping they got some of those samples out there and uh, just sort of enjoy the time when my wife is shopping. I love going over to Broadway Coffee House and getting a cup of coffee and seeing that plate on the counter that's got that snickerdoodle all cut up. Because I love a free taste of that snickerdoodle. Or if it's a Marionberry scone. Oh, Great Harvest makes some great Marionberry scones. And, uh, and if it's sitting there, and it, you know, if, it's, if, if the coffee's taking a little bit longer, I might have a couple samples. I might sample both. I might work my way through that scone. You know, if, if you time it right, you can eat for an entire week at Costco. You really can. There's enough free samples there. You can live on it. What are samples? They're they're a foretaste of of something that could be yours. It's a foretaste. When you sample a snickerdoodle or you sample a little cup of coffee, it builds in you perhaps some anticipation that that you'd like to buy one of those. You'd like to have that for yourself. And I want to suggest to you in this story, though you may be here today and you did bury your son, you lost your grandchild, you buried your mom, you lost your husband, you lost your job, and nothing has changed. Your circumstances are still the same. I want to tell you today that Luke chapter 7 Verse 11 through verse 17 is a sample for you that should build up, can build up anticipation for the culmination of every loss being restored to you in Christ. That when the kingdom is fully established and we're with him forever and ever, every tear will be wiped away, every lost one in Christ will be returned to you, every pain spoken, every, every hurt and pain will have healing spoken over it. This story can be your story. It is a foretaste of a kingdom that we live in and we anticipate, even in the midst 
of traumatic loss. Because he's the God whose heart goes out to you. He sees you. He does not step around you. He's not too busy. He's not preoccupied. He does not suffer from compassion deficit disorder. You know, there are major world religions in which, uh, like Hinduism, 33 million different deities, but you will never get compassion or tenderness from one of those deities unless you first appease. The Stoics, these Greek philosophers who lived in Jesus' time, believed that the primary attribute of God was apathy and the incapability of feeling. And they believed that if God could be influenced by human suffering, that he would not be God. I'll read the Quran. 114 times Allah is described as compassionate and merciful, yet there's not one story of his compassion and tenderness. Yet we have four Gospels that are littered, that are peppered, that are overpopulated with story after story after story of a Christ whose heart goes out to people. And could you, in your pain, in your grief, in your sadness today, could you by faith take this story and say, he sees me? Could you by faith take this story to say and say to yourself, God is near? Because he is the Christ. He is the Christ who does not walk down the sidewalk and see you crying sitting on your skateboard and step around you. No, he is the Christ who comes to you and weeps with you whose heart goes out to you in your loss upon loss. He is your Christ. He is your Messiah. He is your Jesus. You've been listening to Steve Fowler, lead pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem.